Anyway. Okay, we got it. All right. Um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Hope everyone's doing well. I was going to wait. Um, I think, it, sorry, Ali, do you know Dave? It was. What's that? He'll be here. He will be here. Okay, yeah. I thought so. I didn't, yeah. Um, should we wait before we call to order? Uh, what's, no, do we, we should still, go ahead. Do we got quorum? How many do we have? One, two, three, four. We have quorum. All right, we will, let's call to order then. Get started. Uh, he's, in the, he's in the waiting room, so he'll be here shortly. Here he is. Oh, great, here we go. Okay, should I just get started? All right, great. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first commission meeting of 2023. <laughs> we can, I guess, call to order. Um, so good evening. Well, you want to let me do the telephonic Zoom um, statement. Uh, so good evening, Chair Thompson and Sustainability Commissioners pursuant to government code section uh, 54953E and in light of the declared state of emergency, the regular meeting of the Sustainability Commission of today, January 12th, uh, 2023 will be conducted telephonically and recorded through Zoom. Do you want to call call it to order? Should I? Yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> call to order. Commissioner Wiley. Here. Uh, Commissioner Cooper. Present. Uh, Commissioner Present. Wilt Wiltshire. Here. Commissioner Jalali. Here. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Here. Uh, Vice Chair Palmer. Here he is. Mark, are you there? You're uh, muted, but I see you're, you. You're muted, Mark. Here. Okay. <laughs> and Chair Thompson. Here. So everyone's here. So there's a quorum. Great. Um, item two. Okay. So public comments on items not on the agenda. Um, so if you want to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, you can use the raise hand function in Zoom under the reactions button at the bottom of your screen, or you can press star nine if you're calling in. The public comment is limited to three minutes per speaker. That being said, are there any members of the public who would like to comment? I don't see any hands raised. Great, okay. Um, and then we'll move on to approval of minutes. Do we have a motion for approval of the minutes? I'll make a motion to approve the minutes. Is there a second? A second. I'll call roll. Uh, Commissioner Palmer. Yes. Commissioner Cooper. Yes. Commissioner Wiltshire. Abstain, I wasn't at the November meeting. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Jalali. 
Likewise, I wasn't at the November meeting. Uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Yes. Commissioner Wiley. Yep. And Chair Thompson. Uh, and Chair Thompson. Yes. Okay, so that was five out of seven. So the motion carries. Okay, great. And then we get to move on to external presentations. And we have uh, two presentations today. And starting out will be Tamara Peters from Resilient Neighborhoods. Welcome, Tamara. Thank you. Um, good to be here. Thank you all for asking me. And I've got a PowerPoint here. Do I need to give you? Oh, we can't get together. Okay. You got it? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't so, sure if I needed to give you a co-host, but it seems like you're already in. Yeah. Somehow I did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so I'm uh, executive director and founder of Resilient Neighborhoods. And um, I started it back in 2010 when I retired from like 50 years working for the environment. And I, I just, I couldn't sit back and do nothing. So um, I started it up and I wanted to help people in Marin do something about climate change. So we've been around a long time now and our program is comprehensive, free and online. That's because of COVID. So our mission is to empower Marin residents to take personal action to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and to create resilient connected communities that are able to adapt to a warming planet. So we do both the mitigation and the adaptation. We're supported countywide, and we've set a big goal that by 2030, we'll have helped over 3,000 people reduce 20 million annual pounds of CO2 emissions. We're included in almost all of um, the county's city and town climate action plans. Sausalito and Ross are the two exceptions, and that's just I assume because you guys haven't updated yours um, yet. That's my assumption. Um, and also, do you know uh, Marin Can, which is Drawdown Marin, kind of nod your heads or, yeah, it sounds like I thought you would. I participate in those board meetings, except for the one this week, which I couldn't. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so we are one of the seven endorsed solutions of uh, Marin Can, and I presented to them this week uh, too. So the one you missed, so you don't have to hear it again, right? <laughs> um, also the Marin Climate and Energy uh, Partnership, which is uh, which Sausalito is also part of, and that's uh, all the cities, towns, county, MCE, TAM, and MMWD are all now helping provide funding for resilient neighborhoods to do the residential um, part of climate change. So our countywide results, 1900 people have reduced over 11 million pounds and the average household reduction from their starting emissions is 35%. And we've made all the cities and towns a little bit more safer and more resilient. This is, I'm gonna be showing you some pictures of our teams as we go along too. So results just in Sausalito 58 participants so far, over half a million pounds reduced. The average household reduction here was 45%. You may see um, Tracy Kessler's from Sausalito in this team. And that 
just as a little um, anecdote about that. Uh, we have all our teams name themselves, which is particularly important when everybody's in a box since we've started on Zoom. So um, this was next gen uh, Marin team. And for to make their team a little bit different, they held up pictures of the people that they love, the children, the grandchildren um, that they did the team for. And why is what we do here in Marin important? For why is it what the residents do important? You've probably seen this pie chart before, I would guess some version of it. Residents are responsible for 55% of the um, greenhouse gas emissions. And you can see that's the, the chart of how much um, um, for each sector. If we took emissions from the residents, our air travel, our diet, our purchase of goods and services, if all that was included and we handle all those in resilient neighborhoods, it would go up to 75% or more. And this interesting chart is uh, the green line going across here is a biological capacity that's available locally of the earth to give us the things that we need. That's how much is available. And each of these lines um, show how that, uh, that entity, how much of that carrying capacity is used by the people in that place. This is, this is old, it's not like up to date or obviously China would be higher up, et cetera. But what it shows, it's basically um, correct in terms of Marin and it shows that the resources of five Earths would be needed if everybody lived the average life, lifestyle of someone in Marin. And this is mainly due to our affluence here and that we're a suburban community, so everybody drives a lot. And of course, the transportation is the, is the highest um, sector. So we've added something new to our program. Um, and one of the motivations was the statement by the UN Secretary General, the global climate fight will be won or lost in this crucial decade on our watch. So let's fight together and let's win for the 8 billion members of our human family and for generations to come. And, and uh, I'll tell you what we've, we've done. Uh, we've added a 2030 program and I'll tell you about that. So how does our program work? Um, residents sign up for a workshop and we ask each household to commit to attend five meetings, reduce their carbon uh, emissions by 25% or 5,000 pounds. And the people exceed that all the time and earn 4,000 points for building community resilience. It's a be really a behavior change and it works on some of the same principles as Weight Watchers. So we're asking people to go on a low carbon diet to lose 5,000 pounds in 60 days. Good New Year's resolution. Um, our program's fun. The workshop participants form a climate action team and you meet, get to meet people from all over Marin. And the way at the first meeting, everybody um, does computations and using a carbon calculator and you get your baseline starting carbon emissions. Next, we have like a hundred actions of uh, and various uh, things that you can choose to do to cut pollution or build community resilience. You take the actions between meetings, the ones that you can take right now. And then the new thing that we've add, added is you also plan to take more and more high impact actions by 2030. 
So we're running out of time and this is our way to really, really move the needle. Um, at the last meeting, you uh, everybody weighs in again and you report on how many carbon emissions you've reduced and, and resilience actions you've taken. And then um, there's a um, celebration and a graduation ceremony that we have at the last meeting. And then after that, we are gonna support the 2030 actions taken by um, every team member with an annual reminder, current information and assistance. So we're just gonna keep going with everybody. Our plan is really com comprehensive and you'll see by all, all the things we cover. We get people to take a fresh look at choices that we make every day. People start thinking about climate before they do something. Um, it really, we go deep with people. Uh, it's like our, our purchases, our diet, what we eat, reducing waste, conserving water, you know, all of our daily behaviors, switching to power from renewables, going all electric and reducing energy use, finding new ways of getting around, EVs, bicycling, public transportation, and planning for emergencies to be resilient in our new normal. Working at a team in a, as a team is supportive and motivating. This is the, uh, the Carbon Catchers team and just another example of one of our online teams. And you'll see that to be different, they all thought of catching carbon. So they brought in like butterfly nets and catcher's mitts and we put the little CO2 in there. And this is uh, Nancy Chemnitzer, who's on the um, Belvedere City Council. And we have this fabulous um, climate action toolkit that for each of our 100 actions, it has in it um, uh, any rebates um, that are available, uh, income qualified and regular, it's all organized by every action, who can help them take the action, things they should know about it. It's, it's all in there. And we're gonna be providing this to um, all the teams in the future too and keeping it up to date because there's so many things happening, so many changes going on and um, we're constantly changing it. These are all the entities that we partner with besides all the cities and towns. Again, our 2030 climate challenge that I was talking about, um, we provide the things like an energy audit, life of appliances chart, rebate timing, the toolkit I just told you about, and support the remind, uh, motivating reminders every year with a list of the planned actions that they had written down. The other thing that we're doing that's really cool with this, we've had you know hundreds of people go through the program now that have already graduated. We're going back to them and saying, hey, we got eight years left. You know, will you will you sign up? Will you pick some high impactful actions to take between in the next eight years? So we're going back to them and they're participating. So this is how you guys can help us um, promote our quarterly workshops in Sausalito Currents. And you did um, you did last time down in the commission section, but we would and we got one sign up. But what we would encourage you to do is use our graphic or some form of it, depending on the size you can use, if you can. Um, and if you can also put it in the top or someplace else 
in Sausalito currents. That would be great. It really draws people in. It's hard when it's a bunch of text and then you have to find a link. It's not very motivational. So if you could do that, um, also add it to the city website and promote on social media and next door, that would be terrific. And um, spread the news, uh, spread the word to the people you know who might be interested, to all the groups and, and entities you are part of. And you can sign up yourselves. That would be great. Um, I'm doing a workshop this shop tonight, starting starting one in ten, nine minutes. No, oh, oh dear. Anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, so sign up yourselves. We have another workshop starting next um, Wednesday. Wednesday. So, and then if you could help us, our next workshops will be starting. In, at the end of March and early April, and you guys um, could help us then promote in the March uh, Sausalito Currents and then in these other ways. So this is um, COVID carbon crushers. And we've got on this team, we had um, Julie McMillan, who was the mayor of Ross at the time, and Tricia Osa, who was on the Mill Valley Council. So what we're gonna do is what we can do is motivate and inspire participants. 99% of our grads consider climate change when making purchasing decisions now. 94% feel inspired to ask others to take actions based on what they learn. So we it ripples out, uh, provide information on the actions and then contact the, um, the, all the people um, who've participated through 2030 and help them. So this is, this is a graphic take action, it's empowering. This is one of the graphics you can put in or just maybe whatever size you need, we could we can make it. Um, but you can see how this would be a lot more appealing than um, reading a, through a whole bunch of text and clicking on a link. So if you could do that, that would be fantastic. And so um, this is how you sign up. These are our two teams. If anybody is, feels really motivated right now, you could just zoom on click on to another Zoom with me and join our meeting tonight. But I suspect you need to be where you are and you have another fabulous presenter. So anyway, next Wednesday um, from four to six, another team starts. And I just wanted to highlight, this is another um, Sausalito team on, uh, you may know um, Flo and Jack on their houseboat in Sausalito. And I think I had, whoops. I better, I just want to say I had, uh, oh yeah, I didn't show. This is a Sausalito team. Um, Julie Carlson, some of you may know, is on our board. And through the Sausalito Women's Club and Sausalito Presbyterian Church, she organized. Um, we got this team together. We met in the church. And this is, uh, you know, probably know Wilford Walsh. I imagine some of you do. Um, and his wife, Carol. And we had a, a team on their floating houseboat. Um, okay, so that's it. Do you have any um, questions for me? Just a qu quick comment to say thank you so much, Tamara, for all of this. It's so great. And the timing is, of course, so needed and perfect. One of our key priorities for this year is doing more to get more of these types of things in front of our residents and businesses and have them take more action. So this is great time. Great. And then open it up for any questions or comments. Hi, and thank you. I've been following your work for years and it's, it's great to um, just to hear it all and where, where it's gone. 
Um, so I, along with two of my uh, colleagues here are on the outreach subcommittee. So we can talk offline. I know you're, you're running to your meeting. Um, the, the, the current request makes perfect sense. It's a little tricky. Um, there's a lot of competing content, but I'm happy to have the conversation. I have it regularly with getting, <laughs> getting some things up top. Um, might be a little bit late um, for, because you've got this round, but we could strategize for March to try and get that next round of promotion more front yeah. and center. We could yep. take that offline. So welcome to open communication. I think you have my email or we'll make sure you do. Um, the, the question I have is, is that toolkit available for us to put on our resources section of the website under the Sustainability Commission? No, it's really just for our graduates and it all relates just to our program. So, okay. yeah. so we can, there is a, something to link to where people can click we can provide a summary and a click and then they can go seize our website. They can sign up and do all that or no? No, uh-uh. You, you need to actually go through the program and then you can access the, or, or in our graduates too. So to sign up for a program, you need not to having this- a workshop. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. why don't we talk offline to figure out where we can put things because that seems like a, a no brainer. We can add it to our, webpage and all of that to support you. Okay. Um, Jennifer Hammond is our outreach associate and she's the, the main person. So um, if I can, if somebody, Greg, if you could get me Lauren's uh, email and I'll connect them. Great. That's great. Yep. I'll do that. Um, Mark also has a, uh, his hand up. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, Tamara. That was a great presentation. Good to hear what you're up to. Uh, you know, we're, we're charged now with doing some outreach around building electrification. Uh, City Council uh, has de de deemed that they're going to uh, discuss the REACH codes in the first quarter here of, of this year. And uh, uh, they've also uh, indicated the need for us to, to lead the charge in, in community outreach and public education around electrification. And I hope that we'd be able to leverage your efforts in uh, Definitely. So, and it's kind of in the short term. You know, we really do need to engage here in the next uh, couple, three months to to hopefully uh, get some traction with the community on this. Yeah, or at least at least inform them well of what the plans are. And when we do that, the a lot of people can't do things right now, right? Things that take bigger bucks, like a HVAC heat pump, um, but they can plan it. You know, and that's what we're working in two years. And then we give them, this is the rebates available now, you know, new things, uh, new things coming in, new opportunities, new help. So there's um, ready, ready, set. Uh, I can't remember the last name. Ready, set something. Uh, yes, that, yeah. So we're partnering with her um, and in San Anselmo and Fairfax, and they're doing electrify, electrification things, focusing on the water heaters first. So, um, so yeah, so there's lots of opportunity there. Thank you. Anything, any other comments or questions? This, this is great. Thank you so much, Tamara, and um, have fun with your uh, event. <laughs> okay, thank you guys. Good luck, stay dry. We will be in touch. <laughs>
Okay, next up on the agenda is um, the external presentation on building electrification, a very important topic here. So this is on climate, health, and equity from Bob Gould with the Physicians for Social Responsibility. Hello, <clears throat> thanks uh, again for the kind invitation from Mark. And I do have a talk uh, to share with you. Should I hit the share screen? That my first step, just so I know how to load it? I think so. Uh, Tamara just kind of went in and got it done. So if you let me okay. know if you need me to share something or make see it works. There you go. Great. Can you see that okay? Yes. Yes. Oh, fantastic. So again, thanks for the invitation. And you know, before I start hearing the uh, conversation that you just were having, uh, just before joining you all, I was uh, didn't quite get to finish uh, what was a really excellent two-hour presentation that was co-sponsored by Act the organizations Actera and 350 Bay Area on uh, building electrification and uh, included uh, what I thought was a really superb presentation as a backgrounder by Panama Bartholomew, who's the uh, chairperson of uh, the Building Decarbonization Coalition, uh, also featured former mayor uh, of San Mateo, which has also developed a, um, a very uh, thoughtful uh, reach code process for San Mateo. So I just wanted to uh, let you know about that. And I could provide you all information about that. I, it was recorded if you wanted some supplemental information. So uh, I'm here tonight as indicated to represent uh, San Francisco Bay uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility, talk about why natural gas is bad for one's health and, and the uh, climate. Uh, just to briefly introduce myself, uh, I worked as a pathologist at San Jose Kaiser uh, for over 30 years. And after retiring in 2012, I moved over to the program on reproductive health and the environment, where I work as an associate adjunct professor and uh, collaborator for that program at, uh, within the Department of OBGYN at UCSF. But over the last number of decades, I've uh, been president of San Francisco Bay Physicians Just briefly say, I have no disclosures uh, to no financial relationships in regard to anything that I'll be uh, presenting tonight. And just do want to acknowledge where I'm sitting here in San Francisco. It's uh, as our chapter, it's on the unceded ancestral homelands of the Ramaytush Ohlone peoples, the original inhabitants of San Francisco. Those of you who know our organization, we were founded back in 1961 by physicians uh, who were very concerned about the uh, deleterious effects of radioactive fallout nuclear weapons testing and that's remained a core issue for our organization in terms of working for the uh, abolition of nuclear weapons not only do we address the existential dangers of nuclear weapons and war but since the early 1990s we've had a very robust uh, program 
on a wide array of environmental health issues centering around uh, global warming. For our nuclear weapons work, which uh, ex has extended into the current period, certainly with our concerns about the Ukraine war, we shared the Nobel Peace Prize with the international physicians for the prevention of nuclear war in 1985. But uh, today I'll be focused on our one of our latest uh, projects that we've been involved in uh, pretty much for the last uh, three or so years from the time we uh, helped pass the resolution in Berkeley on having a, a electrification ordinance, uh, which was one of the premier measures in that regard. So uh, you know, what comes to mind when people think of gas stoves and the issues that have uh, come up particularly recently. They think of it as uh, natural gas, that it supplies quick heating and clean energy and uh, have you know developed a relationship with cooking with uh, gas on which are you know significant issues in terms of making the changes that we're certainly recommending and you're contemplating. What we want to stress in terms of a lot of work and research that's come out that things that also need to be thought of are the impacts of indoor air pollution, the attendant health risks uh, from this, uh, the issues of fossil fuel and global warming and the climate health issues, which obviously intersect very strongly with the personal uh, health risks to uh, natural gas and uh, how that impacts uh, every aspect of our existence. In many ways, the issues of indoor air pollution from gas appliances uh, is very analogous to issues that have been associated with uh, passive smoking, both in terms of getting attention and how to deal with it. Both thought once to be uh, harmless. Uh, there's been accumulating research findings documenting uh, uh, harm, uh, health harms. Uh, it's now recognized scientifically as a significant risk, uh, both to human health, as well as the environmental uh, health issues that impact our lives. And this also has been a lag between scientific findings and the action that we're now taking or contemplating to act on to reduce such uh, risks. Uh, there, it has been uh, noted that uh, it's been for decades that the Consumer Product Safety Commission and the EPA recognize potential health risks from uh, nitrous dioxide, but it's been a very long lag in terms of acting on this. So just to go over very briefly, uh, the various uh, air pollutants associated with gas stoves and other appliances, we'll be uh, going over in all of these very quickly, nitrous dioxide, carbon monoxide, and the various uh, particulate matters of concern. The, the PM 2.5 has uh, had a lot of attention for diverse health impacts because these very small particles uh, get deep down into the airwaves and, and cause uh, lung damage. And uh, we've also had, uh, have been given more attention, partly because of their, their prevalence in wildfire smoke that we've been exposed to, even smaller particles, the ultrafine particles or particular matter, uh, 0 0.1. And most recently, uh, what's come to uh, attention have been also the, um, the bystander aspects in natural gas of uh, benzene in the gas supply, which I'll be uh, exploring as well. So just to very quickly cover the issues of nitrogen dioxide, 
These contribute to the development of asthma and the aggravation of it. Asthma is a very complicated disease. That's a, a complex uh, interrelationship between genetic and environmental uh, factors. But within that mix, nitrogen dioxide has been involved, uh, implicated with developing asthma itself and again, aggravating pre-existing asthma that also exists from exposure to uh, fungal elements, uh, regular air pollution, et cetera, beyond uh, indoor effects of nitrogen dioxide. This is associated with increased susceptibility of respiratory infections and as well, negative effects with general cognitive functioning. Turning to carbon monoxide, uh, there are diffuse neurological impacts, including fatigue, impaired vision, reduced brain function, dizziness, confusion, and nausea for that. And with uh, neurological effects, it could progress up to coma and death, uh, increase susceptibility to infection, and as well, reduced overall cognitive uh, functioning. Uh, turning to the particulates, uh, which I've uh, explored briefly, there, may, there are uh, many neurological effects overlapping what I just presented as regards carbon monoxide, fatigue, memory disturbance, loss of concentration, and judgment. This also aggravates asthma and reduces uh, lung function. Many studies have uh, illustrated this, particularly with reference to outdoor air pollutants uh, referable to our transportation and industrial sectors, and also has been uh, strongly uh, linked to uh, heart attacks and uh, premature death. And again, most recently, very recently, within the last few months, there's a, a report that was came out in environmental science and tech, technology indicating that uh, that research tested natural gas in 159 homes in California found benzene, which is a known human carcinogen to be present in virtually every sample taken. Even when gas stoves are off, they can leak benzene in concentrations such as indoor air concentrations are on a par with uh, secondhand smoke impacts. And research is calculated in California's gas appliances and distribution level infrastructure uh, up to getting to the appliances in the home leak the same amount of benzene as emissions from nearly 60,000 cars each year. Uh, there are other issues uh, uh, related to uh, the, uh, the impact of unventilated stove use exceeding uh, EPA ambient air standards for nitrogen dioxide. This is research coming out of Lawrence uh, Berkeley Lab, and, and it reflects the differences in terms of sizes of unit and the exposure of people. But in uh, homes over 1,500 square feet, the uh, unventilated gas stove use exceeds EPA standards 83% of the time. And in smaller units, which would be more associated with apartment buildings and housing that poor and all the overburdened communities are in, it'll exceed that 100% of the time. This is uh, based on uh, research that came out a, a few years ago, which uh, deals with the, in one hand, the salutary impacts of using ventilation. If you look at the blue line, even when you're not, even if you, uh, if you do have uh, ventilation, still going to be exceeding the 100 uh, parts per billion levels, which are the EPA standards 
all of these different time distances uh, over the, the course of the studies. And even with the ventilation, you'll exceed those levels, as you can see here, uh, from cooktops doing roast and that sort of stuff. Returning to the issue of uh, asthma, uh, just to uh, present some of the data that's accumulated, particularly over the last decade, children living in homes with gas stoves are 42% more likely to suffer asthma symptoms. And new research led by RMI, formerly called the Rocky Mountain Institute, on the correlation between gas stoves and childhood asthma found that this is just uh, over the last two weeks and also uh, well broadcast over major media over the last week. 12% of childhood, of current childhood asthma in the US can be attributed to gas stove use, which is comparable to children's risk of being exposed to secondhand smoke. And that figure is over 20% in California. Uh, children are at risk uh, from this particular for a variety of uh, reasons from the, um, the pollution from gas stoves. They Children in general have higher breathing rates and higher levels of physical activity. They have a higher lung surface to body weight ratios uh, with their smaller bodies. And they also have immature immune systems, all leading to increased uh, toxic exposures that can cause harm. And these impacts uh, as children, when compounded with the various health disparities, these risks particularly contribute to overall higher risk of asthma in African-American and Hispanic children. Just to uh, go over some of the issues in terms of environmental justice and health disparities in relationship to the prevalence of childhood asthma, you could see these issues playing out in issues of housing where folks with public housing, like where I grew up in the gun home projects in the Bronx, more likely to have childhood asthma. This carries across issues of race and ethnicity, as you can see here, the difference in terms of prevalence between African-American and Puerto Rican children, as opposed to white children, and income levels as well. Far more if you're below 100% of the federal poverty level compared with higher uh, income families. And these issues are related, some covered earlier, smaller unit size that uh, low-income households uh, inhabitants have, more people per home, older homes with inadequate ventilation, People who are poor often use a gas stove or oven to uh, keep warm during the winter. It's not as much of an issue here in California, say back in the East Coast, but still an issue that we have to address. They also have higher exposure to outdoor pollution, which uh, behaves synergistically in terms of the development of human disease and as all well have the greater asthma burden from a variety of reasons, proximity to uh, highways, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that, that uh, reinforce these uh, impacts across all these different issues. There are many ways that uh, all here on one slide that particularly for poor uh, households that can't make uh, the changes to electrification that we're urging and we would hope there would be adequate resources given to poor communities to be able to share in the benefits of this, installing and maintaining a carbon monoxide detector to run an exhaust hood while cooking. And of course that should be a higher grade to really do the work, to open a window while cooking, easier to do here again, uh, 
not in a fr normally frigid environment like the winters in the East Coast, to cook on the back burner so that stuff gets sucked up by the ventilation and use electrical appliances like toaster oven or kettle and for and to try a plug-in induction stove, which is as opposed to buying, uh, you know, $4,500 to $5,000 uh, uh, induction range and, and oven would be around $60, which would be the switch into an electric induction stove that I mentioned here. So I want to close out with uh, uh, framing the personal human health issues from exposure to uh, methane through our gas appliances with reference to the impacts on our planet's overall health. That's something that Tamla covered very well in her previous presentation. Just of course, to remind us that uh, the situation that we're in, we're no longer waiting for a climate emergency to unfold decades from now. This from the New York Times two days ago reminds us that the last eight years were the hottest on record, uh, showing the challenges that we have to cut our fossil fuel uh, emissions as quickly as possible. In regard to methane, it's, been, it's responsible about 30% of global warming since pre-industrial times. And in terms of the contributions from uh, gas stoves through our uh, climate emergency, in, in our country, 13% of total greenhouse gas emissions are from the building sector, primarily from burning fossil fuels. In California, 25% with direct contributions from cooking and heating. Gas stoves produce greenhouse gases when they're on and emit unburned methane, even when they're off. And of course, also contributing benzene, as uh, I mentioned previously. And we also have to look at the infrastructure needed to transport quote unquote natural gas to homes that leaks at least 2.3% of the gas moving through it. Just a quick look at what that means in reality in terms of the distribution network that uh, was reminded um, by the remarks in the earlier session I attended where, for example, utilities uh, who actually don't make their money off of the natural gas itself, but from these sort of these distribution networks from wellhead to our appliances. And the areas where methane can leak along this include the wells themselves, the gathering pipelines, compressor stations, the transmission pipelines, uh, city decompression gates, distribution pipelines, residential gas um, lines, and residential appliances. Sorry for the typo in the next to last there. So, where we would hope we would move as a society is, uh, and, and to provide some hope, particularly when it's in our, our homes that we could really do as you all are, are contemplating, make the sort of changes more immediately than the major transformations that we need to have develop clean energy, which has virtually no climate pollution, uh, except for, of course, the manufacturing manufacture of batteries and the mining, but nonetheless, uh, these are areas that we have to uh, very uh, critically and uh, face up to, but nonetheless need to move in this direction as opposed to fossil fuels, which in this case won't provide combustion. They're sustainable technologies, affordable, and really critical as uh, multiple global agencies and health providers are recognized to our health and survival. 
So uh, again, uh, this is all meant to uh, bookend with the things that I, I hope I've helped address about the issues of indoor air pollution, health risks, fossil fuels, and global warming. And it's this complex of issues that have certainly motivated major health professional organizations on the health harms of gas stoves and methane. There's some recent examples of this. The American Medical Association, uh, a very conservative medical organization that we work in the space with California Medical Association, as well as AMA, where a number of our members were able to be successful in developing policies passed in their major meeting last June. This resolution on top 439, informing physicians, healthcare providers, and the public that cooking with a gas stove increases household air pollution and risk of childhood asthma. Basically, uh, you know, based on a lot of the information I just presented to you. I would also just reference, although not the major issue of what I'm addressing tonight, a separate resolution informing physicians, healthcare providers, and the public of the health dangers of fossil fuel-derived hydrogen. So as we're considering um, bringing hydrogen online, particularly for transportation and other focused purposes, we are definitely opposed we are for green hydrogen, which would be using sustainable energy to hydrolyze hydrogen into oxygen, water into, into oxygen and hydrogen. But there's a real push right now to promote using methane to de develop that hydrogen, which uh, I'm just raising to, you know, keep your attention on that. And we have major problems with that. And you can come back and present more in detail about that. The American Public Health Association, which is the largest and oldest public health association in the world, uh, passed a resolution uh, just in November 2022. As you can see here, gas stoves are a public health concern. Exposure to nitrous dioxide increases all these different risks, all that I've presented here. But there's substantive support among the public health and uh, medical community to make these changes. I've provided you with uh, a wide variety of references here. And I sent a version of this talk to Mark so he could share that with you if you want to either check out the references and as well, um, if you either individually or collectively would want to check out the vast resources that we've collected on the website of the San Francisco Bay uh, area as well. We have a number of infographics of more than what I presented here, uh, stuff on the finances that are applicable to uh, people who want to get these types of uh, new appliances and transformations. I think you'd find it very useful and would welcome uh, you checking them out and raising any questions with us. So I want to thank you for your time. Hope you could stay safe. I don't know what it's like in Sausalito tonight after the floods. I can only wonder what you all been through like the rest of the Bay Area. And I would love to entertain uh, any questions that you might have. Thank Great. You Thank you, Bob. This is all very important, critical. We have a, a clear understanding that 90% of our emissions here are from both transportation and then, you know, methane gas being, you know, a key part of that. So we are working hard for decarbonization and electrification for everything, including, you know, gas stoves. Mark, your hands up, I'll let you take over. Yes, uh, thank you, Bob. I really appreciate that in-depth look at the uh, health effects of, of, of fossil gas. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we are charged with doing some public outreach and 
trying to work with city council this quarter to come up with some some reach codes resolutions uh, and, and I certainly think that this type of information is very important to get in front of the decision makers as well as people in the public who will be uh, uh, interested in the this process I'm sure so thank you very much I appreciate really appreciate your input well thanks again for the opportunity tonight and as we talked about Mark if there's a you know, in subsequent hearings, uh, this type of information would be useful. We'd be glad to represent this or address other concerns that people have at a, at a future meeting, if not myself, although I would uh, certainly be in, sign up to be able to do that as well. We do have a, a, a burgeoning uh, speakers bureau who can hand, handle that information. And uh, we're also working, just so you know, very closely with partners in the San Francisco Marin Medical Society as well in terms of getting this information out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Any, any other questions or comments? Lauren? Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. Okay. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah, thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. Thanks again for your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Okay. Uh, now that we have uh, completed the external presentations, we are on to our next section, which is housekeeping and committee update items. And just a note that as we sent out an email, the real goal of this is to make sure we are nailing down our priorities for 2023 from each subcommittee. And then Mark and I will aggregate that essentially and use that for um, basically making sure that our liaison is, is on board, that the city council is on board, that, that we work with Ali to um, present that to, to the key staff as needed. We also may go through the, that with the Chamber of Commerce to get their support and help. So we're gonna have a, a bit of a stakeholder collaboration on this to basically say, here are the priorities for 2023 from the Sustainability Commission, and here's how we're going to go about achieving them and want to make sure we get full support and and collaboration as needed. So that's the goal of uh, making sure that, you know, the January meeting gives us that outcome. Uh, and so we will move uh, first to, well, we I guess we don't have Melissa um, here and she is our new mayor. We were going to say congratulations to her, <laughs> to our new mayor. Um, so we will make sure that we find out um, that she is still our liaison being the new mayor or we have a, a different liaison as Ali pointed out, Ali pointed out we may. So uh, we'll, we'll resolve that. All right, so we'll move on to the waste subcommittee update. Lauren and team. Hi, so I um, I'm, have been uh, nominated as speaker to represent Kimri, Nick and myself. Uh, and I think we're back to back with waste and outreach, um, right, Greg, on the agenda. So I might as well just go through both. Great. Um, so, um, okay, let me just, there we go. All right. So for waste and reuse, our priorities, uh, I'm going to stay with me here as I talk you through it because these first two are quite uh, related, um, yet yet different at the same time. So the first one we've been talking about for a long time and we're going to prioritize fraction this year. And this is 
the, the moving forward with a green business certification promotion of some kind. Now, we have been previously talking about, um, and this started back with the single-use plastic ban before we even knew about the, the Marin County or the California Green Business Group, let's do something that's a special Sausalito sticker, and then we have certain criteria, and you know we love that plan and still do. But thanks to Mark bringing forward information about the Marin Green Business Program, we also are learning that there is a very plug and play opportunity there with them um, that may suffice for now, at least as a starting point. So we're, we're not recommending anything here tonight. This is just our priority discussion. But what we're doing between now and the next meeting is we're digging in to really look at the differences, look at what Marin Green Business Program is currently proposing. Um, it really is different based on, you know, what, what type of, you know, business you have. So we want to dig into more of that and then think about, you know, what's not there? Is there enough not there that we need to do a, an extra layer and do this whole Sausalito specific criteria or not? And do we start with simple promotion of Marine Green Business, which currently only has three businesses in our town? Um, to our, you know, professional services, a landscaping company, a marketing company, and then and then heat ceramics, and some of you went on the tour. Um, so we want to really dial into, in the name of being efficient and setting a, an achievable goal, figure out, do we need special Sausalito criteria, or can we roll with Marin Green Business? That's, that's our first priority. Um, separately, we have our single-use plastic ban that's also in sort of mid-implementation. And we thought that the carrot of having a certification, a badge of honor would help with that. So, you know, we're really keen to see how single-use plastic plays in here. And we also have this new partner, Plastic Free Marin, that we're in touch with. And we want to see, you know, how, how does that differ? Are they in touch with them? So the, these are very connected, right? Um, we are planning to, as a close number two, I would say, and arguably an equal number one, um, meeting with Plastic Free Marin to just see what, what their offerings are. And we need to share with them what we've already done. So if you recall with single-use plastic, we have this you know, laundry list of all of our restaurants and status on how they are with implementation, what they, how they responded to the outreach. We have um, Greg and Kim still have, you know, giveaway, you know, starter kits. So we have an outreach plan. So we need to be stepping back to figure out these, now that we have these Marin County resources ready to help us. How do we merge them with what we were doing independently before they came on the scene or before we knew about them? So that's sort of this collective one and two having to do with green business slash single-use plastic ban. Um, the, the, I'll pause there, Kimmery and Nick, did I leave out anything that you'd like to add on to? Okay. I think you did, you did a great, you did a great job, Lauren. I, and, I, and I think this is going to be something that we're going to hear sort of throughout this evening is 
we need we need some more information um, to move forward on some on various um, items. Thanks, Kimberly. Um, the next one, oops, sorry. The next one is the Dockfilm project. This was introduced to us um, through the Matthew Turner. Um, you remember they spoke with us last year. We are, our interest was peaked um, to this really alarming concern. And Nick has been our point person on this, doing some extraordinary legwork to figure out what we're dealing with here. And um, Nick, why don't I turn this part over to you to, to talk about you know your next steps um, on this, which which we have as a priority three, but simply because the scope is quite big and and well, Nick can share. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks, Lauren. Um, so I think what we understand is that it's like a relatively um, big and pervasive problem um, and a few culprits. So. There's some feasibility we want to understand about what the actual financial implications are of changing out these docs and how and who it's impacting. Um, so a lot of that's just some fact finding that we have. Like we have examples of marinas in the Bay Area who've undertaken this project. Um, maybe not so much for an environmental angle, but because um, when the foam degrades, the docks degrade and you can't use them anymore. So you have to upgrade them and put in like the capital expenditure to to make them usable again. Um, so I think there's going to be some fact finding that we're planning on um, doing in the next quarter. Um, and then there's an info campaign to kind of target the, the businesses and individuals who, who have these types of docs. Um, I think one of the things that we want to do is like, it's important to tie this to work that we're already doing too. So like in the Marine Green business criteria, if this is like, could be something that could be tied into goals for that to be able to be included in that program. It'd be great to tie into that. So we're going to do the exploratory phase of that. Um, and then I think we should think about what it would mean to, to have an ordinance in place and um, look for guidance on um, if we were to do it, what would enforcement be like? What would the funding be like? So there's a little bit more fact finding that we have to do. I think there are some large implications to a few different stakeholders in our town. So um, most of the work that we'll be doing in the next quarter is just ensuring that we we know who all the stakeholders are involved and the, the impact to those stakeholders before um, we move on to the next phase of doing outreach and doing the info campaign to the residents and businesses. Thanks, Nick. Um, the the last piece of, of the waste is is alluded to here, you know, in with SB 1383, but is also sort of a missing standalone row simply because um, we we haven't connected um, in the new year yet with Greg and Kim. So I would, you know, I would say that the ongoing priority is always to keep up the great partnership we have with Bay Cities Refuse and to say, you know, where do you need our support? And for us to keep up to date, you know, with with, with um, our needs. And, and because this committee, this waste committee was set up long ago and really focusing on so many waste issues that now with SB 1383, you're really moved over the city in implementation that doesn't involve us. This is where we're seeing the natural evolution of the waste committee. However, Greg and Kim, you know, if you feel that there's something, a big gap here, or you have a need, you know, by all means, 
shout and let's get it on here to to our priorities. All right. Yeah, and we we actually um, before the holidays, you know, went out with some new um, some more starter kits. We actually uh, replenished the stock. Um, so then, and with the weather and the holidays, now we're going to start up again um, going out. And everybody's been really, you know, receptive in regards to um, you know having getting the starter kits and just questions about the program. So it's it's been going well. Yeah, and, and I'm really interested in exploring more, you know, as you have those conversations, you know, I was in one of our businesses yesterday that, you know, is, is you know, one of our A plus, you know, businesses, they, they do everything right and they're mm -hmm. very supportive, but they don't have front of house composting. They have nice new bins that are trash and recycle. It was an improvement over the last time I was in there. I saw it, I commented on it, but I said, I mean, I'm holding a napkin that could be composted. You know, I'm sure that with this implementation, you're probably going to hear, you know, requests for front of house composting. Or so, I mean, I right. think as that as that story evolves, um, you look how many buildings, restaurants have the streams set there and these nice little cabinets with the little holes. It's mm -hmm. pretty disruptive to say, "Oops, you only have two holes. You need three. So. I'm really interested in how that's going to evolve this year. Okay. So, okay. So that's waste moving on to outreach. Um, and this is, I'm going to say a caveat. It's hard to do. We can't set the outreach priorities, right? We kind of have to wait for you guys to do your priorities and then we need to add on. So this is kind of a mishmash of the basic stuff. And I would, challenge all of you to be thinking of these priorities, these events, these, these things to say, okay, where do I fit in? What do I need? And the first piece here would be, you know, that, that when you have a need, you are providing it to the outreach subcommittee ready to go. It's not, hey, outreach subcommittee, um, we have a new ordinance we need to do outreach on that came out of X subcommittee. Like, that's great. Well, you guys are the experts. You tell us what what to include, what's the blurb, what's the link that we need to showcase in an announcement, what do we put it for resources. You know, we the outreach subcommittee isn't the commission marketing department. Um, we're simply the people that are the trying to, you know, move forward as much and, and get us get us tables, places to tell our story. So it is a real collaboration with all the subcommittees, this work we do here. Um, we do need to do a, a look at the website and just say, hey, what, what other things can we throw on there? Case in point, the Resilience Neighborhoods um, links we just heard about tonight. We do have one major priority of outreach that is our um, gas-powered leaf blower, soon to be at the end of the month, initial additional phase of landscape equipment ban. Um, we have not as of yet seen much more than a small post in currents. Um, there's a big gap here. There's a big need here. Um, I have probed a little bit on, you know, what's happening when people complain. Um, I heard from one resident that uh, the, the police department who is on point for the, for the enforcement has said that it's just not, they, 
they don't have the staff to respond to that. It's not a priority. So we have a gap uh, with, with how the enforcement is gonna happen. Um, so that's something that we can't fix, right? That's a city issue. If the police can't do the nose or the, or the enforcement, who can? Is it just the leaf blowers uh, that they can't enforce or is it general noise enforcement? If, if my neighbor's playing their music too loud, are they saying no to that as well? Or is it something about the leaf blower addition that's causing a problem? All of these things aren't in our purview, but raising them here as something that we wanna prioritize. And I also think that this is going to be one of the main things that we tell our new sustainability programs coordinator. And so I'm gonna sidebar here and tell you an update um, that I was on a, a panel that interviewed the first round of candidates for the city. We saw six wonderful candidates. Um, Lisa uh, from Sausalito Beautiful was also on as, long, as well as someone from Novato. Um, so great candidates, um, really excited that we're gonna have someone in place soon. I would expect in hopefully in the next month. Um, that's all I got on that, but just that is why I felt comfortable putting this bullet point in here and saying some of these things we do need to let them give some guidance on. Um, but, you know, this is a priority. Um, the other stuff I'll move through quickly. We obviously have our standard events, right? The e-waste event that I'm assuming Dragon Kim, you'll, you'll, you know, be shepherding for us again. We, we actually, sorry, Lauren, we actually have one. Our bills um, had just been delayed a couple of days going out, but in the newsletter, we do have a e-waste event Saturday, Saturday, February 11th. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's all set up with a conservation core again. So it's That's amazing. And at, with Kimber management at uh, 28 Liberty ship again. Awesome. Okay. So, and the idea here is that we, we, continue to try and get one commission out there to, to get a table, to go beyond just having it be turning your ways, but it's a place to engage. I will be on a plane on February 11th. It won't be me this time, but maybe, you know, some, someone else from our committee or a broader can raise hand. Um, um, jazz and blues, um, oops, jazz and blues. I'm not going to spend time on it here, but we can expand upon what we did last time. Most importantly, we need to engage with the, the events, team with the city sooner than later to really try and tackle what was a big problem last year, the use of plastic cups. <laughs> it was uh, told at the beginning of the month, oh, these are just back stock. And I had a table there. And at the end of the month, there was a lot of cups, a lot of people drinking wine. At the end of the month, I was still seeing plastic. So someone was buying stuff. I don't know if it was the city or the nonprofits that had the booze. But that's that's not walking the talk. So we need to nail that this year, and we've got plenty of time to do it. Um, Fourth of July, um, we've got all the materials now. We just you know need to march. I'll be out of town, sadly. Uh, um, um, this is an example. It's just an idea. We don't have to get into it tonight. But it's an idea of how else could we engage? How else could we bring forward the commission, bring forward some partner organizations, engage with the community, share some resources? You know, this is one idea and, and we would welcome, you know, thoughts from everyone else um, 
maybe between now and the next meeting. If, if you have other ideas, please bring them forward, um, as well as any other thoughts you have. And finally, you know, we do have a little bit of an extra here, Greg, to share because we've got all these channels. So yeah. in terms of how we do our outreach, this is a big piece of separate work stream, really, that we explore through each of us digging in and being point people for various organizations, digging in with, for instance, you know, Nick scheduling meetings with Salsita Beautiful, figuring out, trying to get maybe get some volunteering with our group going. Um, so lots of relationship building and, and um, looking at other communication channels, newsletters like here at Salsita Village and Salsita Beautiful and Salsita Women's Club. So once we get the outreach together, we have these channels to disseminate the information. So there's a lot. And, and I would just end with going back to this piece, which is we, we do need the, the, the package given to us to outreach. Our job as we see it is not to go create content. It's to facilitate the communication of that content. So as you're thinking about your priorities and launching your various things, um, please keep that in mind. Thank you. Great, thank you. And um, that makes sense too to me because like for transportation and energy, one of our goals is, and I'll go through that when we get there, but it's to get more of these online website resources available to people. So we'll package that up, right? So then it gets into the outreach, you know, mechanism of getting out there. And then one other thought is, I know this may not be possible because of currents, but it's like, it seems like every issue of current should have the sustainability thing with the links to the resources. So everyone knows easily and quickly how to go do this, that, and the other. And, and so I, you know, I don't know if that's possible because it sounds like currents is challenging to get our content into it. It should be in every issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's another great example of, you know, this new person who gets hired is going to have a massive scope yeah. of the job, but their big part of their job is building relationships with each department, including communication. And if I'm this person, I'm going to say, hey, okay, we need to elevate this. We need to, but yeah. we can provide that coaching to them as part of their onboarding to say, you know, we, but, you know, not saying we can't try before they get in position, but I think that's an example of it would be so wonderful to have someone on the ground you know, making those, those cases. Yeah. Yeah. And great to hear that that's finally moving forward and we'll have somebody in that role soon. <laughs> that's going to make a big, big difference for us. Okay. Um, sorry. Anybody else have any comments or questions or anything? Okay. Uh, Do we need to put the, the, the waste event at currents? It's about a month away. Kim, do you do that? Uh, the e-waste, yeah, I sent it over to um, Abbott already. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and did you need, uh, I guess for Lauren, did you need me to talk to Brian and Parks and Recs about the, the plastic cups? Uh, he would know yeah, something if, if about. Wanna, I mean, I reached out to him a, a couple times during <laughs> during the summer. I'm sure he'll uh, remember. Uh, okay. Yeah, no. No sense in waiting that, you know, I think the expectation is that maybe, you know, last year, maybe we were year one and coming back from COVID and there was surplus, but, you know, the issue I had was that, you know, you know, the nonprofits were coming with the expectation that 
they things were just like they they had been before. Um, the nonprofit that was doing it the day we had our table there was complaining about, well, I'm not going to make as much money. And I thought, well, that's mm, yeah. ridiculous. So that there needs to be some rules. Like, you want to come do this? Here's the here's how we play now in Sausalito. We don't have plastic. You know. <laughs> It's not up for debate. We we have passed an ordinance. This is a city event. What what's the debate here? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then lastly, for Nick, if you need to contact at BCDC, um, I know they're, they're a large organization. You can get lost there. But if you need a contact, uh, let me know. Uh, that might be helpful for the the foam aspect. Yeah. Thank you. I'll take you up on that. Alan. Okay, good. Um, next up are a couple of liaison updates. Uh, so equity first, uh, David. I don't really have much to advance around this. The equity liaison is so, somewhat, I guess, um, subordinate to whatever the objectives are that we're dealing with as a commission. And it's somewhat of a segue into like, okay, so we're focus on X and what is the equity perspective around that? So as we're thinking about these different initiatives and goals for 2023, this equity, you know, liaison position or, or I guess um, facilitation is really about how do these different things that we're doing as a you know, commission and, and as we're thinking about presenting them to city council, how they affect our sort of diversity in our community and ultimately you know what is the equity component in other words is it fair and equitable and and ultimately build around you know just purpose and 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 so forth so as we think about our goals how does that translate into you know um sort of a flat architecture in terms of distribution of our community and so as we go forward um, that's something I think we definitely need to think about and apply to our decision-making processes and recommendations. Great. So that so it, basically, if, if there's a subcommittee goal that should have an equity, you know, aspect to it, then that's something we need to address. Okay, absolutely, because we have a very diverse uh, uh, community where we have many different demographics of age and income and so forth. So when we think about the application of our recommendations, the equity perspective is something that should play and will play in our in, in, in our recommendation decision, decision tree. So, yeah. Great. Yep. Good. Uh, any other comments or questions? Uh, David, I'd like to suggest that uh, the building electrification has a big equity component, um, uh, as, our, especially the, the rental market in, in our, our town and every town is really challenged to, to know how to deal with electrification. There are programs being developed for, for, for tenants, uh, but uh, you know the capital costs are, are one thing. But as more and more people electrify, uh, the people that will be left on the gas system that will have to pay for the increasing costs of the infrastructure that's 
being paid for by fewer and fewer people are going to be impacted even more by the higher gas prices if they can't make the transition. So there are a lot of issues to be dealt with in, in electrification. So uh, I think part of our outreach and education needs to be uh, directed in that in that in that way. Absolutely, and I think from our presentation earlier tonight, the health negative um, effects of gas is something that is in the equation, and this is something that we've seen over and over again. You know, throughout you know a variety of different um, at-risk populations where there's a economic coefficient of impact, but then there's a health coefficient of impact. And what's the sort of mitigation between those two and the communication around that particular, you know, uh, the sort of reality of, of economic impact. And I thought our presentation earlier today was really very square in terms of the negative effects of a, of a, of a gas type of, you know, cooking or heating, you know, and I think it's very real that people do, you know, who have economic disadvantages will turn to the cheapest source of power, or uh, I guess heat in this case, um, which might be a stove and a gas stove to ultimately satisfy those conditions. And so I hear you. And I think as we think about the economic impacts and the positioning of these types of ordinances, the equity and is not only economic in terms of what is that gas bill, but what is the economic cost in terms of the health um, benefits that come from electrification? And electrification is not gonna take place overnight. It's gonna no. be a 20 year transition. And so we're gonna be dealing with this for decades about how to, how to uh, help our, our rental and, and lower income communities uh, deal with this transition. However, there are many, I mean, I, I'm in startup land, so I will, you know, disclose that. And there are so many startups now that are looking at, at alternative um, conditions around cooking strategies, for example, that use um, induction um, and are easy, um, less expensive, don't require uh, they can run into uh, 110, um, use battery systems to augment that particular um, versus the 220. So there are innovations in electrification around cooking systems, which will be, of course, over time, lower the cost of, of um, you know, execution in those particular types of um, benefits and strategies. and funding available <laughs> there's there you know in that world of startups there are new online solutions coming to the table with <laughs> hey you want to electrify click a couple buttons and here's the funding and here's the local vendors and there's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think we're definitely moving generally toward induction and away from gas so these are all good things and the equity you know perspective is you know it's got to be universally applicable and cost-effective and not everybody or many, I guess, let me say it differently. 110 is very easy, 220 is not. 
So there, there is a lot of innovation around induction, which is 110. Cool. Okay. Um, anything else on equity? Uh, I just want to make sure we're moving along at a good pace here. That's all. <laughs> okay. Um, Next is Marin County liaison. Um, I don't have any specific updates. We're plugged into what's happening with the county. We will obviously um, on the uh, energy update, Mark will provide all the latest on the county and the, all that. So I don't need to go into that. So um, nothing there. Uh, let's see, sea level rise task force is moving forward with you know getting funding for, like I mentioned last time, uh, uh, for what we need for sea level rise. Um, nothing new there today. Uh, let's see. So we can move on to uh, water. We can move on to water, but um, Greg, are you going to talk about the um, innovation club or whatever? <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, gonna Greg, do, club. <laughs> yeah. I've got that in the uh, both. I've got that in the en energy and transportation. Uh, okay. <laughs> got it. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, so, David, I'm going to attempt to um, share a screen here. Do it. Did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Um, and should I just launch? And Great. Okay. We can see it. So I think one of the things here that, you know, we just need sort of generally need to keep in mind um, is just the relationship and the connections between all the other sustainability work that we're doing. Obviously, you use more water, that takes more energy, um, just, you know, as, as one thing. Um, there's, you know, Mark has raised the whole issue about methane gas emissions in Sausalito. Um, I'm guessing that one of the main um, culprits in that is our sewage treatment plant. That's, that's what sewage treatment plants do. They, they emit a lot. Um, and it's a very old facility here that we have in, uh, in Sausalito. So uh, going through this, um, one is, as you can see here, the whole thing around water conservation. And this is something that we talked about on the outreach committee as well, uh, in terms of, you know, getting, getting Marin water, Marin Water District out to one of our events. They've got doohickeys, they've got stuff. Um, that can certainly be shared. Um, the next is looking at uh, the city's water use. And this is something that David and I really kicked around a lot, trying to understand sort of what do we know, what do we, what do we not know that we need to know? Um, and we didn't come up with uh, all that many conclusions, except we need to dig in a little bit more. On this whole thing about the city's water use, we don't even know, for, if, for example, if Public Works has the staffing and the resources to tell us, um, like, are there issues around, uh, you know, leaking pipes? Um, are there water fixtures in City Hall? Are they up to par? Um, things like that. Um, and if they don't have the resources to do that, then let's just sort of brainstorm and see what we can come up with. Um, and then as David pointed out, you know, it's low hanging fruit for people to go and businesses to go and put in, um, you know, uh, really good water fixtures. Um, and, you know, again, we can use Heath and we just need to keep in mind that Heath is, um, you know, like they're there, anything that we need from them, they're there, they're really clear that, you know, part of their business huh. model 
is to, you know, um, help other businesses become more sustainable. And then one of the questions that we had, and again, it just seems like we need to find out more about the uh, Marin Green Certification Program. Does that include water conservation and reuse? Like, do you get certified for that um, as, as well? And we don't know, but I guess we'll have to find out. So um, I want to talk, I'm going to just jump around. I should have uh, changed this around here. Let's just talk about building codes real quickly. And again, that we don't really know what we don't, we don't, we're not really sure about what we don't know and where we find it, but is, and Mark, maybe this is a question for you, is can sustainable water use and conservation become a part of the city's building codes? Is there a permit trigger for water use? Um, gray water, rainwater uh, catchment, um, are all these things that we need to uh, dive into a little bit more as the commission? That was a question, Mark. Uh, yes, I, I think so. Um, I know that certainly, the, the California Building Code, of which we're subject, uh, has fairly strict requirements on indoor water use, uh, but uh, Sausalito has not adopted an outdoor water uh, use ordinance. Okay. Uh, so that would be certainly uh, something to consider. In addition, you mentioned stormwater, which obviously is a huge issue in, in, in Sausalito that we've all experienced just recently and probably continuing to. Uh, and, and there's a lot that could be done with stormwater uh, yes. not being done now. Um, uh, I, I was just looking up uh, in our climate action plan from 2015, and I believe that the, the carbon dioxide from the wastewater treatment plant is less than a 1% of the total uh, for, for Sausalito. So it's not a big really? okay. but um, it's much anyway. higher. It's much higher for other water treatment plants. Maybe we're maybe we're special. I don't know. Well, it's it's, it's there's certainly emissions, but compared to the, the emissions generated by transportation and buildings, yeah. it's a pretty small percentage. So Mark, just so just so I understand. So do we do we, does Sausalito have indoor water conservation standards? Uh, yes, for new construction. Uh, for however, new construction. there, there is okay. nothing, that, nothing that applies to existing buildings. Okay, okay. They, they really can do whatever they want. Okay. Um, well, let's go um, back to the top of this page. Um, and this is something that really, again, is kind of tying together all kinds of interesting pieces. Um, so as many of you know, we have a lot of water in Sausalito and most of it is in underground concrete pipes. Um, it is not accessible. Um, and so it, as, as one example, the Friends of Willow Creek is wants to get Willow Creek daylighted through the Willow Creek School. They've got a grant, they've got an EPA grant and they just don't have the appropriations for it yet. Um, and, um, uh, and Ali, I know that you, you and I have briefly talked about, um, you know, you said, well, there's a stormwater drain, there's a stormwater that comes out near, uh, modern sailing. And I said, yeah, that's Willow Creek. Um, so how do we start thinking more holistically about, um, our water sources and that these water sources can provide, um, uh, landscaping water, obviously. 
Um, and then, you know, I keep thinking about when the big one hits and we're at the end of the line for with MMWD. Um, so we might be kind of like one of the last to get our our uh, delivery pipes um, fixed. Um, and, you know, as you guys talk about all this new innovation that's coming out, surely there has to be somebody out there who has developed some kind of portable water treatment plant that runs on solar. There has, has to be something like uh, uh, that out there. So um, also, um, so you know that um, Marin City and Sausalito share the same uh, watershed. And um, as we know, Sus uh, Marin City has huge um, flooding problems in part that's due to that damn uh, huge parking lot um, over there in the shopping center. And it's, there's a, just also a lot of water coming off the hills and it's not getting spread out. It's not getting, um, you know, absorbed. Um, it's just it's just running off the hills. So um, just so you know, I was telling David this um, a little bit ago, just so you know, Caltrans has $10 million to go and study how they're going to deal with flooding at the 101 intersection. And currently their plan is to put a 700 foot long wall around the pond. Um, so that is our uh, green transport state transportation uh, entity um, at work. So we've got um, a few things um, uh, here that we need to dig into a little bit more, and David and I will be doing that. David, what did I miss? Um, I don't really think anything other than what I would propose is that we we consider a landscape analysis of what the assets are with respect to these water systems. And Camry and I were discussing earlier, and we don't know if that really exists. Like, does the city really have a good database of these assets and the undergrounds, the stream systems and the discharge sort of locations of all these different systems? And, you know, having witnessed this multiple atmospheric river event, there were some surprises in the city, like, wow, where did that come from? And we didn't know that existed. And I think we've got a situation where we can, as a water sustainability initiative within the context of this commission to say, what are our assets? And then if we know what our assets are, meaning these different stream systems, these different underground culvert systems, these different discharge systems, how do we think about the ecology the environmental impact of these discharge systems and the opportunities with which to create benefits to our community with respect to maybe a reinterpretation of what probably is a legacy of just band-aids and patches and sort of just deal with it um, methodologies. So I think Kimberly and I were really thinking about this today, like, is, does that exist? You know, is there, is there a database where the city has said, you know, we know where, how, and I don't think that's true. I could be wrong. I'm just proposing that we actually dig into this. And then once we have an understanding of, you know, these city assets, we can start to build um, methodologies of benefits, um, you know, within the context of, of management of these assets, uh, which are really rather remarkable and very special. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Yes. <laughs> yes, all of the above. Yes, all of the exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, there, there we go. Um, um, Ali, can we put Ali on the spot here? Ali, do yeah, you sure. know? Does the city have anything like this? Uh, and, what's what's that rainwater? And, I'm sorry. And, rainwater? Yeah. And, and now, and, and Allie, Allie's going, no, don't ask me that. <laughs> no, it's a really good idea. And I actually, I was just going to ask, um, we are about to, um, we're putting a budget together for next year on what we want to do for capital improvements. And uh -huh. I want to talk to you and see if we can get rainwater yeah. catchment or gray water, um, maybe for City Hall or for MLK, because I think those are the two biggest places that use um, water. Um, are you connected to that industry and do you, do you know products and numbers and, and things like that? I don't. David, do you? Uh, it's not a focus of mine with respect to, but I think it's pretty easy. There are probably vendors that deal with that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I, I mean, that's, that's pretty low hanging fruit. I'm sure there's, there are vendors that through the various sort of, you know, industrial channels. I mean, I've seen many of these as I was up in Santa Rosa recently and many of those industrial buildings have these collection systems that are, you know, basically black tanks that capture all that rainwater. Um, but I think more generally speaking, that's the end point. What's the beginning point? Um, for example, earlier in the conversation, we were discussing Willow Creek and its discharge. Um, a lot of these systems go right into Richardson Bay, and there might be ways with which to mitigate some of the environmental ecological challenges that occur from that discharge and sort of divert into a positive for this Sausalito in terms of um, capture and release of, of that particular water flow. In these types of events, it's been rather dramatic how much fresh water is escaping this sort of um, altitude-based environment that we live in, which is um, we're on a cliffside and a lot of that water runs right into the bay through its various tributaries. And I wonder if the city has a really good knowledge of many of them. I can think of where I live on, in Spring Valley, there are culverts and there are weird things that go in all kinds of weird directions. And I wonder, if, you know, a lot of water is moving around. So I think the general purpose statement of, of this um, sort of water subcommittee is let's figure out what we got and then we can figure out what we can do with it. Hmm. Good. <laughs> uh, just a, a point of clarification on, on the uh, building code. Um, if we do go ahead and adopt Cal, Cal Green Tier 1, uh, that does include the outdoor water use uh, 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 restrictions. Uh, so, you know, that's one step along the way. Uh, and that's certainly part of what we proposed uh, as part of the, the REACH code update. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, energy is next. And uh, Mark and Reza and I went through our priorities. I will share my screen. And we will talk through these. Mark, we didn't, did you want to do this or do you want me to? Either way is fine. 
Uh, I, I can start and I, then you can take over on this next play, page. Great. Hopefully you can see that. Not yet. Why is my, hold on. Got a blank screen. Okay, one second. I will try this again. Okay. Can you see that? Yes. Now I'll try to put it in slideshow mode. It should work. Why does it pause? Okay. <laughs> How about that? It's not slideshow mode. I know. Can <laughs> we can we go with this? For some reason, it's not. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, go to the view on the menu. Try that. Every time I had done that before, it stops sharing. Yeah, it, I don't understand that. What is going on? Okay, here we go. I think this is going to work. <laughs> God, come on. Okay. Um, you want me to try sharing mine? Yeah, see if yours will work. I don't know why that's happening. It's weird. It always, it always happens on at least one Zoom call. Yeah, exactly. Usually, usually a lot more things go wrong. How's that? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I'll start on this slide if that's okay. Uh, so as as mentioned earlier, the uh, city council did pass uh, the building codes in in November uh, with a uh, a placeholder chapter uh, in the municipal code titled Cal Green with a stated intent to adopt the reach codes of the first quarter. And as an update, uh, in, by early December, five of Marin's 12 jurisdictions had adopted the all-electric for new construction reach code, including Fairfax, San Anselmo, Marin County, San Rafael, and Corte Madera. Four of these had also adopted the enhanced EV infrastructure reach code, and two had also adopted the energy efficiency for renovations reach code. So I, I that was news to me as of a couple days ago to get an update on what the other jurisdictions were up to. Uh, so, uh, looking at our, our targets, we, we divided it up here uh, between the ordinance and then uh, electrification acceleration. Uh, we, we want in quarter one to do outreach and then adoption in either quarter one or quarter two. Uh, and then as far as acceleration, it's, it's having to do with our, our outreach and education, uh, helping citizens and businesses know uh, the benefits of, of electrification and uh, trying to promote this as best we can to our residents and uh, businesses. Uh, so that's kind of the thumbnail on, on electrification. You know, I'm not going into the execution strategies that are written down there, but um, those are available if anybody wants to read the details. Um, do you want to take over on the next slide, Ben Gray? Sure, yeah. And again, a key point here is 
as we talked about earlier with outreach, which is just getting in front of people as much as possible, the links to the way that's the ways that they can accelerate and, and facilitate electrifying. So, yeah. Um, this number three is what Kimberly brought up before, which is there is a new task force in Sausalito um, started and led by our former mayor, uh, Janelle, and this is called the Sausalito Blue Economy Task Force, and I'm also on it to help drive forward with what is being discussed as an creating an innovation zone within the Marin ship that brings in and accelerates climate technologies and especially those focused on ocean health and water health. Um, and so this is, uh, it got kicked off uh, earlier this week and it's, so it's just starting, but um, I'll be involved with it to help drive it forward. And so one of the key items there is uh, using using the marine ship, using Sausalito as an example location where marine vessels can go come and, and electrify. So obviously, with um, with recreational boats, you know they're not purchased that often. So when they're out there and they've got gas engines, the thing we need to do is to replace those gas engines with electric. And there's the technologies out there to do that. We want to set up Sausalito as a Sausalito as a place to do that. And so that's a key, uh, a key 2023 priority. And then number four is just continuing to promote emissions-free energy use, um, doing you know more clean energy growth, doing more promotion of things like MCE and all the other options. And then uh, one more resilience hub for the city, likely to be City Hall so that we can add energy storage to City Hall and have uh, the, the, the energy storage replace the diesel generator that's there. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of promotion and outreach as part of that too, which we will, we will cover. So that's the four, those are the four priorities we've, just, we've determined for 2023 for energy. Any comments, questions? So Greg, for the task force, um, is, is this a, you, you build it, they will come or is there any, are there any grants or funding for it? It's yeah, there is a lot of uh, potential grants and funding. Yeah, yeah. The idea is to set this up as a 501c3 wow. um, and, and have it operate with grants and funding. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess we'll move on to transportation. And I will pull that one up. Hopefully this will uh, work better this time. <laughs> so I'll share my screen. Um, buttons. Okay, so this is the uh, transportation. Uh, Dave and I have gone through this and let me get back to the first one here. Can you guys see that? Okay, so again, very consistent with energy is accelerating the electrification of transportation. So educating citizens and businesses about the solutions that can help them get to electric transportation, uh, including e-bikes and all that. Um, that's number two is e-bike promotions. 
So again, just doing everything we can to help communicate, promote, and accelerate um, getting to uh, people to, to take that decision to electrify and use less you know, gas transportation, get e-bikes and all that. Um, and then number three is working with uh, Ollie and the staff to, to identify what city vehicles need to, to convert to electric and um, you know, obviously have that be a, a, basically a showcase for the city to say, hey, yeah, we're doing, doing uh, EVs, electric vehicles here because it, it matters. So uh, that's, that's another goal. And then uh, four is we, thanks to Ollie's work, <laughs> we have the chargers in place or in, you know, in the plan to be installed in the public parking lots. What we wanna do now is um, add in privately owned locations. So advance the charging station adoption at key local businesses, uh, you know, offices, parking lots, et cetera, et cetera. And then number five is the same as the one we talked about for energy, which is electrifying the marine vessels with this new Sausalito Blue Economy Task Force that I'm involved in. So those are the four priorities for transportation. So, um, Greg, I'm going to like really show my complete ignorance here. Um, there are more people at Whiskey Springs, uh, 100 and, what, 136 units who are buying electric vehicles and are hoping for charging stations within um, Whiskey Springs. I, I talked to the HOA president and and he basically he said that if there were more than a certain number of electric vehicles charging, it would just blow the whole electrical system for Whiskey Springs. Is there any way around that without having, <laughs> without bribing PG&E to come in, putting in bigger thingies to have more power come in? Yeah, there are options. And so one option is to include energy storage and or solar with the charging stations so that there's a lot less dependence on the grid. And uh -huh. people like Intertie right here in Sausalito do that as, as, as you know, they're, they're the ones doing the charging stations for our public lots. And they can combine solar and or energy storage with charging to accomplish a lot less dependence on the grid for that. And then the other piece of it is getting more charging stations out where people go um, so that you know there's a combination of charging at home but also charging when you're out and about and we need to get more charging stations in both the public and in the you know private lots here like molly stones is, a, is one example for you know they used to have one they used to have one i know exactly so there's another component to that uh Kimmery. Uh, there are charge management uh, systems that w can be set up so that the management system will decide based on the available power capacity, they'll decide which cars need to be charged and how often, and it'll rotate through the fleet uh, 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 and not be charging everything at the same time and maybe yeah. only charging 20 or 30 percent of the vehicles at any one time. But uh, there are ways to manage that load without having to supply 100% of the charging capacity for 100% of the vehicles 100% of the time. So uh, I would definitely uh -huh. you know, look into something like that. On, on a multi-unit uh, uh, complex like Whiskey Springs, I would think that there would likely need some type of service upgrades 
to, to accommodate that, but it probably wouldn't be uh, as much as the, uh, the management company perceives it might be. Um, and I, I would talk to uh, Marin Clean Energy and see if they have some uh, ability to provide some assistance there. Thank you. I'm going to pass this on to a couple of people in Whiskey Springs who are especially interested uh, in this because they have beautiful brand new electric vehicles. Um, as you know, HOAs have got to be one of the more conservative institutions on the face of the planet. They don't like change. Sure. Yeah, that's and, and that's a good idea from Mark because MCE has a program for, you know, getting chargers going and Whiskey Springs could be a good place for them to get involved in and provide, you know, the the funding for it. So yeah, mm -hmm. good, good. Okay, good. Um, anything else on housekeeping before we move on? Because this is, you know, this is again, of course, an important first meeting of a year to get our priorities going and then we'll just keep going at them. Um, and if that's it, then we'll move on to business items, future agenda items. I wanted to mention one thing here. It's it's not necessarily a future agenda, agenda item. It could be, but it's the communications stuff. Um, if somebody sends an email to the commission's email address, I will take the first, uh, you know, position of reading it, responding to it, copying whoever else needs to be copied or forwarding it, whatever is appropriate for the email that comes in. So I'll take the first first pass at figuring that out, just so everyone knows. And then if something needs to be agendaed you know, we'll add it uh, as needed based on the communication that comes in. Uh, Greg, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, maybe Ali could uh, help clarify this, but I, I believe you, Greg, you responded uh, in, in, back to that previous inquiry and co copied all the commissioners. And uh, shouldn't, shouldn't that be done by Ali instead of one of the commissioners due to the Brown Act? I think that's right. So if, it, if you wanted me, I guess if you wanted the commissioners to know that that's what you did, then just tell me and then I will just blast everybody instead of you because then it, yeah. Thank you. Yep. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. Any, any, other, any other items on future agenda that uh, we need to cover? Well, the God's willing, hopefully we'll have a sustainability coordinator yeah. <laughs> uh, by then. And this person may run screaming uh, into the sunset when they see their job description and what that really entails. So um, Lauren reminded us yesterday, Nick and I, that we we have to be, we have to ease this person in. Um, we, uh, we would love to throw so many different things at them, but we have to um, ease them in. But hopefully we can meet this new person and have a chat with them. And yeah, and, and we were not, you know, part of the process of putting together the job description. We didn't advise on it. And um, it's not like it's written with, you know, the the commission as a focal point and talking about our priorities and mentioning that it's it's not done with that. So it's it's going to certainly be 
needing to be, I'm hoping during the interview process it comes out, um, but we'll need to jump in there pretty quickly and maybe Ali can, can help with that and just explaining and setting the expectation with the news person. There is a body of people here that are advising the city council. You're gonna be an integral part of this. Um, you don't report to them. They can't just ask you to do everything and they're gonna get it done, but just really um, setting the expectation and making sure that, that they know that there's a lot of good fundamental work to be done. I, they all asked, most of them asked the same question at the very end when we said, do you have any questions? And, and I took that response because the, the question was about, you know, what's, what do you see as the, the first priorities? I said, well, go to the commission website. And by the way, why didn't you already? You're in an interview. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, go to the commission website and there you go. One, two, three, four, five. There's a climate action plan. There's it. So I think it. If I was starting a new job in this role, it is the first place I would go. It's the first body that I would love to talk to and create a relationship with. So hopefully, Ali, on the ground, you can help be like, hey, go to these guys, get a meeting going, and and not. And let's get in there first to help them step back and see all this work that's there for them to get going on quickly versus starting from scratch. No, that's great because I didn't, no one was talking about it in the offices. So nobody knew what the status was, but if someone's going to be hired, that's great. Um, yep. I didn't know if it was going to be a full-time or if it was going to be a shared position with Mill Valley or Tiburon or something like that. As far as I know, as far as what I was told and uh, it's full-time, it is not shared. Okay. And that's a good thing because as you read the job description, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it requires a lot of, you know, relationship building that's covering so many different scopes. It was a really fascinating um, five hours spent talking to these people. Um, but uh, uh, some, some good candidates and um, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Good. Um, I forgot to mention on the um, 2023 priorities, if, I, you haven't, please send me your um, priorities and Mark and I are gonna aggregate them and then use them for our outreach, our outreach <laughs> uh, and figuring out who our liaison is and with the city council and et cetera. So please send them to me and then I, I'll, we'll, we'll do that. Um, okay. Um, is, is there anything else? I guess we are okay to adjourn on time. <laughs> and good job in that regards, Greg. Yeah, oh, good job. Yeah. Good job, Greg. And that's what, that and was with two presentations. With one minute <laughs> yeah. to spare. Actually, that was a little overwhelming. Uh, and Ali, thank you as always for keeping us organized. Yeah. Oh, sure. No, thank you guys. You guys are really great. I hope, well, Greg, I, I don't know, you didn't talk about the grant that you guys were doing, and, or did you? Which grant? The grant that you needed the PG&E information. Oh, yeah. And everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that that's, <laughs> um, I have to catch up on email, but it, it needs to not require any funding from the city. And that was unclear, the latest communication. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll know more once I get back into email, whether that's moving forward. <laughs> and there was okay. another one that I, get that, that 
you had Kimmery relating to water um, that I was at an event with Janelle and, and met this woman. Do you recall what I'm saying? I, you're, you were, I forget what it was. It was- the pla You mean Plastic Free Marin? No, no. It, was, no. it was, there was something about the Marin ship. Uh, oh, 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 the- um, Sounds like- water, The salt water. <laughs> Desal. Diesel, Diesel. <laughs> yes, um, I, I would say the, the short answer on the one, the person that Janelle talked with is that it's not a very good use of our time um, to talk with them. There's a new um, possible Diesel um, thing that we're going to talk about next week on the Marin Coalition for Water Solutions, because that's part of our job is to figure out all the different Diesels emerging technology that's out there and present recommendations to the Marin Municipal Water Board. So you've, uh, gone, have you've gone back to them and closed that off then and said, we're not picking that up at this time? No, I should probably do that. Okay. Well, and we're on for March 9th. Is that our next meeting? Yeah, we are uh, next meeting March 9th. Yes. Okay. Uh, regarding the, the new hire, uh, I. I'm just talking off the top of my head. Maybe Greg and I could meet with this person and uh, then perhaps set up a special meeting of the commission just to have a, a get to know you session outside of a regular business meeting where Great. we could go around and talk about our different backgrounds and, and expectations and, and as well as hear from the new hire what, what their experience and expectations are too. So uh, maybe, maybe Greg and I can talk about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, and if if we did, since we're not meeting till March, could we contemplate perhaps a, a special meeting to be called in, in February? You're being optimistic, Mark, that this person will be in February. <laughs> we're dealing with uh, yeah, the city yeah. bureaucracy here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All dependent. All dependent. Hasn't the position been open since what October, Lauren, or November? Yeah, I mean it's moving. I mean they they told the candidates as they left, you know, we'll get back to you in the next couple of weeks. That was a week ago. So I mean, oh, as wow. of right now, they're moving into next rounds. We were the first round. Who knows how many others? But this, the way hiring is, you know, you yeah. got to jump quickly. You can't let it languish. They're going to be gone. And this, there's there was, you know it would be a shame to lose out on some um, good candidates just for slowness. So I'm hoping it's it's moving quickly. Um, it's, it's a real organized process, the person they have running it, um, I'm hopeful. Well, I'm really glad to hear you thought there were some good, good candidates. Yeah, um, yes. I, I was told to sort of not comment broadly, <laughs> but, but um, so. Yes, we saw some good candidates. Um, yeah, and and certainly think that there's no reason why we can't all build relationships with this person. You know, I know from an outreach subcommittee point of view, like we're going to need to have our own relationship on an ongoing basis. And then you know, Greg and Mark, and you know, so I'm hoping that that's why sort of focusing on that. I want, I'm hoping that they see us as that key stakeholder for them 
right when they walk in the door and that they they've been prepped for that and they're ready to kind of get get meeting with us all. Well, if, if Ali could just open, uh, extend an open invitation to this person to, 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 to meet with me and Greg, that would be a great first step. Well, I'm hoping that I hear before Lauren does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Good, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And well, we'll enjoy the rain tomorrow. 804. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Way to go. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 -bye.